Good morning and welcome to Around Kansas. I'm Michelle Martin. Our good friend Deb Goodrich is off working on some incredible projects that I know we'll be telling you about in future shows. For today, we've decided to take a trip back in time into the Around Kansas vault. Let's take a look at a classic episode of Around Kansas. Dave Kendall has been doing an amazing job bringing to life different aspects of the Santa Fe Trail. And I love this next one because as Dave's guest discusses, the Santa Fe Trail was two ways. There was traffic going out to Santa Fe, traffic coming back from Santa Fe. A real important piece of the story. Thank you to Dave and Prairie Hollow Productions for sharing this magnificent series. My family originated in Spain and came to New Mexico in the 1700s. So uh, my roots are much in the Hispanic uh, area of what at one time was the far reaches of the Spanish Empire. In the early part of my family history, they were very much involved with trade in some way or another on the Santa Fe Trail. Currently a resident of Lenexa, Kansas, Gene Chavez brings history to light through his roles as a teacher, mentor, and public speaker. We spoke with him, not far from his home, on the grounds of the Mahaffey Farmstead, an historic stagecoach stop on the Santa Fe Trail. We asked him about the misconceptions he encounters about the trail. Most of the misconceptions about the Santa Fe Trail is that it was a one-way route taking goods from the United States by American entrepreneurs. And it really uh, wasn't that, it was a two-way thoroughfare. And without uh, the entrepreneurs on the Mexican side, it wouldn't have happened. Uh, the people of New Mexico had been trading all up and down El Camino Real, uh, which was the trade route from Mexico City up to Santa Fe, and then uh, through the state of Chihuahua, uh, and then uh, trade all the way to the West Coast with the California settlements of, of Spain. So uh, their contacts for trading on the Mexican side were, were enormous. And, and so uh, being able to trade with such a market uh, really made the westward expansion of the United States possible. And I think most people just don't understand that. He also thinks it's important to understand that many of the merchants who engaged in the trade were of Hispanic descent. I think that uh, we're at a very opportune time in our history to tell the counter-narrative of many stories uh, that we kind of take as gospel. I think it's important that we tell both sides of the story. And as the uh, bicentennial of the Santa Fe Trail comes up in 2021, I think it's important that people understand that, uh, hey, there were two sides of the trail. Uh, without the markets on the other end of the trail, entrepreneurs uh, sending goods. And by the way, most of those people, entrepreneurs would buy the goods, were of Hispanic origin, and they would buy the goods and then hire 
companies to transfer that into their territory. So really the majority of traders were uh, of Hispanic origin, not of Anglo or other Western European origin. So I think it's important for people to know that counter narrative. Western Kansas Wildlife Travel Center, right here in my hometown of Oakley, Kansas. We're the front door of Western Kansas, located on three main highways, I-70, US-83, and US-40. And all those roads lead to history, beautiful scenery, and adventure, no matter which direction you go. We now have an IHOP brand that you've trusted up and down the road in all your travels is staffed with local folks, real people, just like you and me, and we're waiting on you to join us. So for fun, adventure, fuel up, fuel your body, and let's have some fun. like it's time for our tour. Welcome to the Fort Wallace Museum. Here at the museum you're going to find some really interesting stuff like our replica stagecoach from the Butterfield Overland Dispatch. We've got facades from the fort buildings. We've got an 1870s flag. There's a plesiosaur that was discovered locally. We've got the Ray pump organ collection. We're a little bit place with a great big story and we'd love to have you. I happen to enjoy watching prairie dogs more than perhaps any other animal. And I know I'm going to get tons of hate mail because many of my friends spend much of their time trying to get rid of prairie dogs. But they are endlessly fascinating. And nuisance that they are, they are really interesting little creatures. So watch with me, if you will, the next segment. Black-tailed prairie dogs, named for their black-tipped tails and dog-like bark, once lived throughout the Great Plains in towns that extended for miles and contained hundreds of thousands of individuals. The rodents excavate a complex underground system of tunnels and rooms that may be as deep as 15 feet, with horizontal tunnels reaching 10 to 15 feet long. The soil is pushed to the surface to create numerous mounds. They forage throughout the day with sentinels sitting upright, standing guard as the others feed. When a predator is sighted, the sentinel barks and the entire colony scampers to their protective burrows. Abandoned burrows provide homes for spiders, salamanders, toads, ornate box turtles, snakes, and burrowing owls. Black-tailed prairie dogs live on the high plains from northern Mexico to southern Canada. They are found in short grass prairies and rangelands of the western half of Kansas. In the spring, females produce a single litter of two to ten pups. They may live up to eight years. Prairie dogs feed primarily on green vegetation, including grasses, seeds, stems, and the occasional insect. According to Parks and Wildlife Office in Pratt, there is no closed hunting season on prairie dogs and no license required for Kansas residents. There is also no bag limit. A license is required for non-residents. 
Andy Chappell, wildlife biologist at the Cimarron National Grasslands, said that plague sweeps through the prairie dog population periodically. The last one occurred a couple of years ago, said Andy, and spread like wildfire, leaving less than 2,000 acres of prairie dog towns throughout the more than 100,000 acre park. Other animals, like coyotes who feed on the animals, seem unaffected by the disease. The Cimarron National Grasslands boasts not only prairie dogs, but some stunning western views, truly one of our state's treasures. Their offices are in Elkhart in southwestern Kansas, so give them a call and plan a visit. Howdy, I'm Seth Hayes and welcome to my hometown from then to now. Council Grove has a rich history, as deep as the prairie tall grass. Spend the day visiting 25 historic sites, or explore the unique shops and restaurants, or mosey out of town along the Santa Fe Trail. You all visit my hometown, Council Grove, in the heart of the Flint Hills. A trade route was opened from Missouri in the United States across prairies and mountains to Mexico. In 2021, we will mark 200 years of epic conflicts and grand adventures, larger-than-life personalities and sweeping landscapes. Join us on an historic journey. The Santa Fe Trail lives on. Find us on social media or santafetrail.org. A couple of weeks ago, I was involved in a presentation for the Lewis and Clark Society in Kansas City, and my friends Kristen and Holly Zane were part of that as well. And they are enrolled members of the Wyandotte Nation, and Holly talked quite a bit about the story of Quindaro there in uh, Kansas City, Kansas. And it is a remarkable story, and Michelle is going to share some of that with you this morning. Good morning, Michelle. Looking very sparkly today. Good morning, Deb. Today, as we continue to celebrate Black History Month, let's take a look at the Kansas territorial community of Quindaro and learn about its legacy. With the settlement of Kansas Territory in 1854, the issue of slavery and its expansion westward migrated with the men, women, and children who came to Kansas seeking opportunity. For those who opposed slavery, and for those escaping from slavery, Kansas became a beacon of freedom. Charles Robinson, with the assistance of Abelard Guthrie and his wife Nancy Quindaro Guthrie, the daughter of a Wyandotte leader, secured lands to establish an anti-slavery town site along the Missouri River. The Quindaro town site was purchased from the Wyandotte and named for Nancy. The population of Quindaro grew quickly, and the town boasted a newspaper, a four-story hotel with 45 rooms, a brewery, churches, dry goods stores, a massive sawmill, and a lumber yard. Prior to the Civil War, the community was home to a free African-American community as well. With the help of local farmers, the Wyandotte people, and abolitionists like Clarina Nichols, Quindaro became a stop on the Underground Railroad. The Civil War saw a change in Quindaro's fortunes. With so many young men off to the war, the population declined. The town's charter was revoked in 1862, and the town became an outpost for the 9th Kansas Volunteers. Many of the original buildings were destroyed during the war. The town persevered and became an educational hub. 
Reverend Eben Blatchley and his wife Jane operated a school for free African Americans and escaped enslaved persons during the war. This educational endeavor prospered and after the Civil War was rechristened Western University. The university was an anchor for the African American community that called Quindaro home. By the 1930s, Quindaro, like many communities, suffered during the Great Depression. During World War II, Quindaro's young men went off to war once again, and the town's population declined. The community was eventually absorbed by Kansas City, Kansas, and after time, many of the town's original structures were abandoned and reclaimed by nature. In the 1980s, a proposed landfill project was slated for Quindaro. Community activists, residents, historians, and preservationists joined together in an effort to stop the landfill. Archaeological excavations unearthed remnants of Quindaro's 19th century past to preserve it for future generations. In 2002, the Quindaro town site was placed on the National Register of Historic Places, and in April 2019, the Quindaro Townsite National Commemorative Site was dedicated. Today, the history of Quindaro is preserved and shared by those who lived in the community and those who wish its story to never fade from memory. I hope you enjoyed today's look at Quindaro and that you'll join me next time for another historical adventure somewhere around Kansas. Well, I guess I'm stepping on Ron Wilson's toes a little bit this morning. Uh, but I love poetry, too. And I've always been a fan of William Blake, who has been dead low these hundreds of years, but left us with some wonderful poetry. So I asked Hank and Joanna Will, who are in the midst of lambing season at their farm, if they would allow me to share some of the images that they have shared of the Little Lambs, as I read William Blake's The Lamb. And I hope you enjoy this as much as I did making it. Mm -hmm.